MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, March 8th, 2022. Today, the prosecution rests in the first trial of a January 6th combatant. The Supreme Court smacks down Republicans' challenge to election maps in North Carolina and Pennsylvania. A Trump-appointed judge becomes the first judge to rule that 18 U.S. Code 1512C2 does not apply to an insurrectionist. Republicans warn that if the Department of Justice investigates Trump, that would trigger a political war. Putin releases his demands from Ukraine, and they look super familiar. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello, Dana. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday to you, my friend. Hopefully Taco Tuesday. People are enjoying it. Whatever you want to do on a Tuesday. Just yes, do it yes. right. I do enjoy tacos. And we had some very late breaking news, so I had to rewrite the script. So welcome to our brand new rewritten show at the last minute. It happens. Yeah. We had that SCOTUS decision come down, which was actually kind of surprising. A nice surprise. And then we also had something happening with Judge Nichols on the D.C district court. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then later in the show, I'm going to be having a discussion with the executive director of Mission Roll Call, Cole Lyle. And then, of course, we'll have the good news. So we got a jam-packed show. We have a lot of news to get to. So let's do it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Putin has released his terms for withdrawing from Ukraine. And I have to tell you, I'm having some major deja vu. According to the Kiev Independent, Putin will cease military action if Ukraine changes their constitution to enshrine neutrality, meaning they'll never join NATO, if they recognize Crimea as Russian territory, and if they recognize Donetsk and Luhansk as independent states. And I thought, boy, that sounds really familiar. And the reason why is that this is not a new plan. This is the plan that is nearly identical to plans worked on by Manafort, Kalimnik, Konstantin Kalimnik. Rudy, Kaludi Rudy, Mike Flynn, and Mike Cohen. And listeners of Mueller, she wrote, will remember when Manafort's attorney clumsily redacted a document and submitted it as part of a court filing, and we were all able to see what was under the redaction yeah. bars by changing the text color. Well, that document was a document that said Mueller had been investigating Manafort's contacts with indicted Russian spy Konstantin Kalimnik regarding a Ukraine peace plan he was pitching to Trump while working on his campaign with Rick Gates. Jeez. The main difference is that Kalimnik's Maripol plan, he, in, in that plan, he recommended Yanukovych be put back into power as the president of Ukraine so that Donald could carve up the country for Putin. And, uh, you know, in recent days, Putin has also floated the idea of putting Yanukovych back in charge of Ukraine and booting Zelensky. The Ukrainians resisted. This whole idea, this peace plan. Remember, remember uh, Jared Kushner's Middle East peace plan that didn't include anyone from Palestine? Oh, I do. At the and the fact <laughs> yeah. that he was even in charge of a Middle East peace plan is ridiculous. I know. Right. And he comes up with his new brilliant idea, the two state solution. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah, that's so brand new. But in any case, that was sort of a, a running thing with with the Trump administration. We'll just we'll make plans and we just won't include the other people that need to be there. And so the Ukrainians weren't at the table when they decided this is what we were going to do uh, when they devised these peace plans. And uh, so they resisted, which led Donald 
to illegally withhold aid to Ukraine, violating the Impoundment Control Act and leading to his first impeachment. So to any of your family members or friends who are still under the delusion that Putin didn't invade Ukraine during Trump's presidency because Trump was tough on Russia. Yeah. (laughs) Remind them that Manafort's peace plan was on the table the whole time and Putin had no reason to invade as long as the plan's execution was a possibility. That's what he wanted. He wanted sanctions dropped and he wanted Crimea and he wanted, you know, Dohansk and Luke. He wanted to carve up Ukraine for himself and put Yanukovych back in power, which isn't in his latest list of demands, but he has demanded it in in the past couple of days. And so, you know, as long as that plan was on the table, which it was during the Trump administration, he had no reason to invade. And then, of course, you know, once Biden was elected, that plan was no longer on the table. And Mm -hmm. so he didn't have that uh, guarantee anymore. It's such a clear through line. I just so frustrating that they're not making more of a deal about this in the media. Yeah, I know. Me too. Which is why everyone should listen to the beans. Now, indeed. Remember, Manafort worked for Russian-backed separatists in Ukraine to groom Yanukovych. That was his job, to make him more likable, because he was ugly and mean, right? So they're like, make him more likable, so that Ukrainians dig him. And that was his job. And he had associates like Vanderswan, who helped him by putting out disinformation about Yanukovych's opponent, Timoshenko, which is who the Ukrainians wanted. And all of this while Manafort was hired with Rick Gates to help install Donald Trump as president in an effort to get sanctions lifted and hand Ukraine to Putin. Why do you think Putin... And Russia was helping Donald Trump in 2016. And now, again, Putin is shelling civilians, including children, indiscriminately. And he should face war crimes at uh, charges at The Hague, which is they are investigating. So that's where I do hope that happens. Absolutely. All right, AG, two Capitol Police officers testifying at the trial of January 6th defendant Guy Reffitt said Reffitt's early confrontation with law enforcement was a key moment just before the pro-Trump mob tore through scaffolding and swarmed the Senate wing of the Capitol. Sergeants Adam Deskamp and Matthew Flood, who remain at the Capitol Police Force more than a year after rioters stormed the building and threatened the transfer of power, they were among the final prosecution witnesses at Reffitt's trial. The case, this is the first riot-related case to go to trial since the historic assault on the Capitol 14 months ago. That's expected to go to jury following closing arguments Monday afternoon. The pair of sergeants who took the stand Monday, they provided some of the most vivid testimony to date about the cruelty and brutality of the push by rioters in the early moments of the mob attack. Now, prosecutors rest their case Monday, and Reffitt's attorney, William Welch, said he doesn't intend to call any witnesses. Interesting. Jurors have already heard from Reffitt's son, Jackson, who reported his father. We talked about this. He reported his father to the FBI. This was prior to January 6th, and then later recorded conversations with him about his actions on January 6th, which is amazing. Hmm. Prosecutors, they also called Rocky Hardy, and Rocky is a member of the Texas Three Percenters, who traveled with Reffitt to Washington and described bringing firearms to the Capitol. Deskamp's former colleague, Shawnee Kirkhoff, also testified about her efforts to prevent Reffitt from nearing the building. Now, Welch has emphasized that Reffitt isn't charged with violence or destruction, but the prosecutors have argued that Reffitt's early approach, which was he himself claimed he ignited the broader breach, was a pivotal step in the broader assault on the Capitol. So that's what's going on in that case. So we'll be on jury watch. We will. And Republican lawmakers are now warning that any Department of Justice prosecution of former President Trump will turn into a political battle, setting a high bar 
for Attorney General Merrick Garland to act on an expected criminal referral from the House January 6th committee. The House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol previewed its likely referral to the Justice Department in a big, badass court filing made public last week. And experts say the evidence assembled by the House investigators would provide a strong impetus for prosecutors to act. Of course it would, because there are 40 former U.S. prosecutors and former DOJ officials who are helping the House Select Committee put their case together. (laughs) But Republican lawmakers and strategists warn, stern warning, any federal prosecution of Trump will be accused of being politically motivated because that's all we got. We (laughs) We can't argue on the merits because we have none. And, you know, this will boost Trump within the GOP and turn it into a partisan food fight at a time when Biden is pivoting to the center and trying to keep his 2020 campaign promise to unify the country. I don't agree with that statement. Senator Mike Braun from Indiana said any criminal referral from the House would probably have as much political taint on it as you can get. Mm, Okay, he says, to me, it's clearly politically driven. Eh, Whatever. Braun said Democrats are scrambling to change up the political narrative. Scrambling? We're scrambling to change up the political narrative in response to Biden's moribund job approval ratings. Okay, so so that's what why we're doing this. That's why we're investigating crimes for the historic attack on the Capitol is because uh, the approval ratings are down, but they actually just took an eight percent jump after the State of the Union and the jobs reports. Yep. Um, So fuck that guy. Another quote, at least half the country would say it's all politically motivated, he said. Yeah, it's because of you, you dickbag. And Senator Tom Tillis, Republican of North Carolina, said the Department of Justice has a high bar to clear before launching an investigation. Look, you fucking bitch. They have the same bar they have to clear (laughs) to open any fucking investigation. God. Uh, Oh, I love when you're in rare form. And uh, Trump raised concerns over the partisan fighting that surrounded the formation of the January 6th committee. What about the partisan fighting that surrounded the fucking attack on the Capitol? Yep. Jeez, Tom. Well, Tom, the Department of Justice is investigating Trump, at least as far as the forged electors go. And they're also investigating Sidney Powell and Alex Jones and Roger Stone and Mike Flynn and Steve Bannon. All who had contact with Donald regarding January 6th. They're looking at the Willard. They're like, we can read court filings, Tom. So suck it. There you go, Tom. <laughs> Fucking bitch. I, what did you say? Son of a bitch. Which one did you use? I don't know. <laughs> one that I don't normally hear you use in the middle of a story, but it made me happy. All right. News was swearing, people. Let's keep it moving. Hey, this, my <laughs> apologies to bitches out there. I'm one. I know. It's not. I didn't mean to. Oh, you you're know. killing me. The Supreme Court on Monday, they refused separate requests. This is wonderful. Separate requests from Republicans in North Carolina and Pennsylvania to block new congressional maps approved by courts in those states, meaning the fall elections will be held in districts more favorable to Democrats than the ones created by the GOP-led legislatures because they were trying to fuck it. Now, North Carolina's Republican leaders had asked the high court to embrace an unprecedented theory that the state's judiciary could not impose a new map for congressional elections even though it found the legislature's version had violated the state's guarantee of free and fair elections, which is what the Supreme Court can have a say in. Now, the U.S. Constitution, they argued, leaves that question in the hands of the legislature, not courts. That was the entire, like, idea behind the big lie, right? Like, the yep. states get to put use, choose their own electors or whatever. And so there's no way that the Supreme Court is going to be like, well, we always think the states should be in charge of their own elections, except right now. So they yeah. couldn't. They couldn't. Uh, that United States of America goes right out the window, if that's the case. Now, three of the courts, actually, it's pretty out the window right now. 
Three of the court's conservatives said that they were anxious to consider such an argument. Now, there was a fourth who also expressed interest, said it was too close in the election to upend planning for primaries. Now, in Pennsylvania case, in the Pennsylvania case, the court turned down a request to intervene in the state Supreme Court's decision to impose a map after the Democratic governor vetoed a map passed by the legislature, which is controlled by Republicans. This is why down ballots matter. The challenge was brought by Republican voters and candidates. Now, go to North Carolina. North Carolina is a purple state. They have a legislature controlled by Republicans, a Democratic governor, and an elected state Supreme Court with four Democrats and three Republicans. Now, Donald Trump won the state in 2020 by a 50 to 49 percent margin over Joe Biden. So the four Democrats on the state Supreme Court said the restricting maps passed by the legislature after the 2020 census had a partisan tilt, quote, not explained by the political geography of North Carolina. Only huh. explained by racism. Isn't That's it? interesting. I wonder what it's explained by. Thank you, A.G. Hmm. The court concluded the maps are, quote, unconstitutional beyond a reasonable doubt under the Free Elections Clause, the Equal Protection Clause, the Free Speech Clause, and the Freedom of Assembly Clause of North Carolina's Constitution. So the only one it's not unconstitutional under is the Santa Claus. Every other clause it's <laughs> unconstitutional under. I think Mrs. Claus, too. Yeah. Mrs. Claus, probably. Yeah, so uh, so SCOTUS does something right. It's nice. Uh, but to meanwhile, hear. meanwhile, Judge Nichols, a Trump appointee on the D.C. District Court, shit the bed today by dismissing and obstructing an official proceeding charge, good old fifteen twelve C two, against insurrectionist Garrett Miller. Ten other judges, Dana, ten have confirmed the charge is appropriate. Uh, I imagine the government will appeal. And Andrew and I are going to try to make sense of the Nichols reasoning. I read it and then I read it twice and I read it three times. It doesn't make any fucking sense to me. So maybe Andrew can explain to me what he's trying to say. And we're going to do that on Clean Up on Aisle 45 this Wednesday. So for more, you know, in-depth look in the weeds, legal speak uh, about what's going on with Judge Nichols and his weird ass filing, his weird ass ruling today. <laughs> Tune in for that. Uh, all right. Up next, the executive director of Mission Roll Call, Cole Lyle. So stick around, and then, of course, we'll have the good news on the other side. Be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for the Beans, and today's show is brought to you by the good people at Helix Sleep. There is nothing worse than tossing and turning all night and then feeling exhausted all day or sore. Uh, I used to have the worst sleep patterns, a bunch of anxiety, but also I was sleeping on a mattress made for someone else. But Helix Sleep came to the rescue. I took their quick online quiz at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. And it relieved all my sleep issues. It was great. I got the perfect mattress to fit my sleep style and preferences. And now I fall asleep fast and stay asleep all night. Helix has mattresses to fit every sleeping style and body type. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses, side sleeping, back sleeping, tummy sleeping mattresses, body temperature regulators. They have spinal alignment mattresses and even the Helix Plus mattress for plus size sleepers. I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I'm a side sleeper and I prefer a medium firm mattress and it's perfect for me. And thanks to Helix, I fall asleep right away and I sleep all night. I get that good deep REM sleep and I wake up feeling refreshed and alert and I'm, no, I'm not sore. My lower back doesn't hurt anymore. Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. They were awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 and 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine recommend Helix to improve your sleep. They have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 sleeps risk-free. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund all your money. There's no risk here. And they even have financing options and flexible payment plans available. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. 
That's Helix Sleep, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash Daily Beans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Welcome back. Today, I am proud to be joined by a veteran executive director of Mission Roll Call. And Mission Roll Call is a nonpartisan movement that provides veterans with a powerful unified voice that can be heard by nation's leaders and communities. Please welcome Cole Lyle. Hi, Cole. Hi, thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you for being here. First of all, I want to thank you for your service. And it says here that you worked for the Department of Veterans Affairs. So fellow Department of VA alum, welcome to the show. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's great to talk to you. I know you're mobile right now doing some of, of the work of Mission Roll Call. Can you talk a little bit about why you founded MRC and and what some of the work is that you're doing? Yeah, so um, you know, I, I serve as the executive director for for Mission Roll Call. I, I appreciate you attributing me to founding the organization. I, I wasn't actually a founder, but I came on board. You know, it's a veteran mental health and suicide prevention has been a cause close to my heart. Uh, 2014, I was, you know, one pound of trigger pull away from being one of the veteran suicide statistics. And, you know, I've I've advocated for uh, increased access to service dogs for veterans with post-traumatic stress, uh, wrote the original PAWS Act, you know, got a job working uh, mental health policy for the American Legion, did that for a short period of time, worked in Congress for a member doing veterans policy, made my way to the VA, you know, got out of the VA. The Afghanistan withdrawal happened, and and being that I was the only person in my former unit that had served at the federal policy level, I yeah I had friends of mine contacting me trying to reconcile what was happening, why it was happening, and it ended up being you know uh, commiserating with these veterans. A couple of them called me. One was uh, driving drunk, talking about running off the road. Another had a gun to his head. You know, so I I, I know this issue from kind of every different angle. And um, after Afghanistan, the position uh, of this organization as executive director came up and uh, I had a conversation with the president and CEO. And it really felt just after dealing with friends of mine uh, that I had just mentioned, like I was being you know, called to, to come on board this organization. It's something I'm passionate about. It's a great organization. And we're really our, our number one priority is, is suicide prevention and trying to empower veterans to kind of take back control and that sense of purpose in their life that they may be missing. Um, so right now, as you mentioned, uh, we're on the ground in, in Arizona. We have an aggressive outreach strategy this year to engage with veterans in the local community. And our model is not traditional. You know, uh, typical uh, BSOs, the American Legion, the BFW, you know, veterans get involved at the local level at their posts legislative ideas and initiatives get filtered at the local level. They get considered by you know state conventions and they get filtered by national conventions before they get presented to members of Congress. And we go straight to the veterans. The global war on terror generation of veterans is slowly becoming the largest demographic of, of veterans and they're largely online. And you can see this through things like the veteran crisis line. After Afghanistan, there was a 98% increase um, in usage year over year in the text and chat function, which younger veterans disproportionately use 40% of the time. So we go directly to veterans that are online. We poll them about policies under consideration by the Department of Veterans Affairs, by Congress, and take that information direct to those lawmakers to educate them so they can make more informed decisions about policies that they're looking to change or to implement. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and when I was at the VA, the focus on veteran suicide at the time was to team up with Department of Defense and have an, a better open line of communication through interagency health affairs offices mm-hmm. to help tackle that problem. And I know that both, I think at the time, General Mattis and Shulkin, David Shulkin, were teaming up to make that one of their top five priorities. And they they did make some, you know, there were some things that that happened, including allowing people with other than honorable discharges to receive mental health care at the VA. Right. What are some of the things that you're looking at for the future for VA reforms? Because those, while good steps, haven't really taken a good enough chunk at all out of the number of veteran suicides. Right. Well, you know, suicide is... Uh an inherently complicated problem because it's not a it, it's not a univariable problem. There's no one thing that we can point to and say, you know, veterans are are killing themselves because of this or that or whatever. It can be a conglomeration of financial stress, relationship stress. They get out and they are no longer a part of an organization, you know, that that serves a purpose higher than themselves, uh, and they they struggle with transitioning employment. So it can be a number of different things. You know, our second priority is ensuring veterans have timely access to effective care um, and benefits, which so often we see um, veterans get frustrated just with dealing with the bureaucracy of of VA. And you know as well as I do, being an alum, when you go to one VA, you've been to one VA. They're all different because they all, they all, the directors of the of the VA medical centers, um, CBOX, they have a lot of latitude to implement direction from the VA central office in the manner that is well suited for their local communities. Um, so it's a, it's a difficult problem to tackle, notwithstanding the fact that, you know, suicide is an American problem, right? The, the American public is dealing with the suicide epidemic, but it disproportionately affects veterans, you know, because of the nature of their service, they deal with things that the average uh, civilian in the population does not deal with. They come back, they feel disconnected from the civilian population. But to your point, you know, one of the things that we've been advocating, we had meetings with senior leadership at VA in December, is making suicide prevention their number one priority. Right now, I think it's 4B on a list of one to six. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from an active duty standpoint, senior flag officers and officials being very open about their struggles with mental health would go a long way with uh, promoting the rank and file and reducing the stigma of, of saying, I'm not okay and I need help, right? But we should also be clear in the sense that uh, the suicide statistics are staggering, right? Every time I talk with somebody that's a civilian that is unaware of this problem, they're always astounded by the numbers and they say, what can we do to help? What can we do to help? But, you know, uh, veterans, I think the statistic is 30% of global war on terror veterans um, are affected by post-traumatic stress. So not every veteran deals with mental health challenges. You know, they're not all broken, but we want to give and empower the veterans that do struggle with these things, the ability to overcome this. We need to do that first and foremost through ensuring that veterans have the access to care and benefits at VA that they've earned. We need to promote local community organizations to lean in to the veterans in their community and, you know, partner with VA at a local level. Um, we've seen VA go from the medical centers to CBOX to vet centers. They engage with, they have partnerships with local organizations. And because it's such a complicated problem and there's no one size fits all solution, 
you know, it's hard to say that there is going to be a centralized solution um, that comes from the Department of Veterans Affairs or DOD. It's going to take communities. It's going to take, I mean, certainly those organizations have a huge role to play in it for the reasons I, you know, just mentioned. But, you know, community care is going to be a big thing. We've seen uh, after the Mission Act, you know, the veterans' uh, ability to utilize care in the community. But because VAMCs are kind of decentralized, we've seen issues with veterans who would like to receive care in the community being denied access to uh, community providers. So one of the things that we've publicly supported is the GAPS Act, which would codify the access standards for the Mission Act and give the veteran the ability to make their own healthcare decisions again uh, without having to go through a VA scheduler, without having to go through, um, you know, they would go through their provider, but really empowering them to make choices in their in their healthcare again. So that's that's a big thing. Right. Because there's a hierarchy, right? Like if a veteran wants to go out to receive care in the community that at a non-VA center, they can't do that without first getting a hold of their primary care team, right? which isn't always the easiest thing to do. So, yeah, right. I, I, I totally understand. And, you know, if you're under duress or under stress or under anxiety at that moment, it's not something that you have a week or two to wait around to hear back about. And right. so, yeah, that's so important. And, you know, you had mentioned when you talk about these statistics and you talk about these problems, you hear, you know, what can we do to help? How can I help? Tell us some of the ways that Mission Roll Call advises both veterans and non-veterans in communities on practical ways that they can help other veterans. Right. Well, I mean, it starts with, it's a perception problem, right? Because in the United States, people that are not veterans, they they understand veterans um, through what they consume in the media or if they are personally connected uh, with a veteran. And so often we see, uh, you know, people that don't have those connections either have the idea that veterans are all heroes or they are completely broken by what they see in in Hollywood, on on television, social media, and that sort of stuff. So one of the things we do, every veteran has a story, every veteran has uh, has a has a voice. And um, on our national kind of outreach tour, where we're going to huge markets of of not only veterans but civilian populations, we're telling individual stories of veterans in the community, you know, who you know did their time, got out, are productive members of society. Um, and maybe have struggles, maybe not, but just trying to educate the American public um, on a broad scale, but on a community to community level, you know, people that say, hey, what can I do? How can I help? Right. If you're not connected to a veteran, you don't have one in your family. And, and you know, as well as I do, 80% of people that served had an immediate family member that served. So it's largely becoming a family business and, and the American public is more disconnected than ever. But get involved in local veteran organizations in your district. You don't have to donate a ton of time. You don't have to donate a ton of money, but just get involved and, and you know, use the connections that you gain by volunteering at those lo- local organizations to get a better understanding of the veterans in your community and what they face. And, you know, if they are so compelled, donate more of your time, donate more of your, of your energy, your, your money, whatever it is. But it really will take a community approach to this problem because as i mentioned you know it's not a univariable problem and it's the one demographic of people that we can't go back and interview and say why did you make this decision right so sometimes it may be what pushes them over the edge is you know a financial crisis or 
you know, a relationship crisis and divorce, and they, they lose that connection with their community. It's all about improving their life and empowering them to live a life, you know, worth living so that they don't make an irreversible decision. So, you know, I wish I could say people in the community could donate to, to this, you know, nonprofit. They could, you know, uh, volunteer their time with, with this organization and, and it'll, the problem will get solved. Mm-hmm. But it's not as simple as that. And it really will require a change in perception. Uh, but then also, you know, just a better understanding and awareness of veterans in your local community and how, you know, they are dealing with the challenges of service. Yeah. And and I'd also just like to add that, you know, for civilians where it might seem daunting because you maybe don't know anything about veterans, Mm -hmm. there are so many ways to serve the veteran community here locally. I know we've got a group called So Say We All that has a veterans writers workshop um, and, you know, they they publish their stories. They go on NPR podcasts about talking about their transition from military to civilian life. There are programs, as you know, you know, because you worked on the Pause Act where you can help train service animals for veterans with PTSD. There's art therapy, there's equine therapy, like whatever you're into, there's a, there's a way into the veteran community that way. And and so, yeah, I wanted to just kind of, because, you know, a lot of people I I would imagine who aren't familiar with, with the the military or veterans are like, well, I don't know anything about guns or war or, you know, you, you, you don't really have to, there's so many ways to reach out to veterans in your community. Right in astounding and stunning ways that you might have never thought of. Yeah. And I always, um, you know, I understand the intent and I think uh, obviously general awareness and education is important, but um, you know, whenever I see those, Hey, do 22 pushups a day for the 22 veterans committing suicide every day. Sometimes I think, you know, a far better use of your time as a, as a citizen trying to impact this issue, you know, maybe uh, you know, donate, 22 hours a year, right? Or uh, donate, you know, uh, 22 minutes isn't enough time, but like <laughs> donate, donate some time at the local community level. Um, you know, call a veteran for 22 days in a row that you know, or text a veteran 22 days in a row. Do something that is more personal and reach out. It'd be so far more impactful if, you know, somebody listening to this that maybe doesn't have a connection to a veteran in their family or in their friend group goes and volunteers at a local organization that has a direct impact on these veterans and, and reach out personally and try to engage with them to understand, educate themselves and ultimately, you know, reduce the, the veteran, the rate of veteran suicide. Yep. And every VA medical center has a volunteer program and every a vet center uh, mm-hmm. which is connected. They have some great uh, programs. There's always something that needs to be done. And we have like these big stand down events. Um, and I think that it might feel and seem daunting, but it, it really isn't. It, it really isn't at all. Right. And I think when, once you're once you're there, you'll find that it's it's pretty easy. It's like when I when I started door knocking for campaigning, I'm like, I can't do that. Talk to people, knock on doors. But once you go out and do it, you're like, yeah. oh, this is fun and easy and 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 worth worthwhile. So, yeah, thank you so much. Tell everyone where they can find support your organization, find you on social media so they can follow you and share what you're doing. Yeah, well, the organization Mission Roll Call, um, you can go to missionrollcall.org. You can learn more about our organization. You know, we, like I said, we also conduct polls in the veteran community for the veteran community. 
So veterans, if you want to opt in to our texts and emails, we regularly send out polls about um, issues affecting you that is under consideration by Congress, and we give that information directly to your lawmakers. And uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. We're on everything. Just uh, search Mission Roll Call, like, and, and share content, and you know, just, just engage with us. But uh, appreciate you having me on uh, the podcast, Allison. It's been great. And um, I hope to be on soon and talk more about this issue. Yeah, we would love to have you back. Thank you so much. Executive Director of Mission Roll Call, Cole Lyle. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hello, I'm Jeff Stein. And I'm Jean Meserve. Together, we host the Spy Talk podcast. Every week, we delve into the worlds of intelligence, foreign policy, military operations, and the intersection of all three in national security issues. Spycraft, cybersecurity, violent extremism, whether at home or abroad, technology's impact on intelligence gathering. We cover it all and much more. We interview former spooks, military officers, government officials, journalists, and national security researchers, leveraging our backgrounds in military intelligence and homeland security, along with our decades of experience as journalists and news organizations like Newsweek, The Washington Post, and CNN. So join us every Thursday for a new episode of Spy Talk, available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news. It's on the way. And if you have any good news or confessions or corrections or idioms or if you want to tell me how dumb Louis Gomert is or misheard song lyrics, whoobies, shared swears, shit adults say, shit kids say, whatever you have, what the mutt. Send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And I know we say send us anything, but we do have to draw a couple of lines, though. I wish we could, but we can't do the GoFundMes. They're too difficult to verify. Also, the super long, long, long submissions. Less is more sometimes. We want to share submissions from as many people as possible, but the segment can only be so long. So, uh, word? Word. All right. First up. From Karen, pronoun she and her, dear ladies of the Leguminati, and A-U-G-H-T-Y. Very nice. You put the naughty in Leguminati. I like it. Hmm. I've been keeping my sanity during this needless war in Ukraine by listening to the beans while doing finger knitting. Finger knitting? Fuck yeah. I thought I was making a rag rug, but it turned out to be a sea anemone. <laughs> or maybe a nude branch. Picture of my twisted creation is included. Thanks for keeping me company as I work to stay calm and knit on. I love this CNM. Very nice. I got to get, I got to check out finger knitting. I, know, I, 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 I think I could finger crochet like with that big giant fat yarn. I'm that trying they make those... so hard to stay <laughs> clean right now. All right. Finger knitting, finger crocheting. I'm sure you could. <laughs> I have no doubt I'd be very good at both of these things. <laughs> Did you trim your nails? Nails are trimmed. Mary Trump texted me. I was like, how are you? And she's like, I'm hanging on by a fingernail. And I was like, yep. And as lesbians, we are already behind the eight ball on that. (laughs) It was good times. All right. God damn it. I love that, Mary Trump. I do too. This next one is from Anonymous, but pronouns are she and her. Hello, Beans Queens. Thank you for all the work you do to keep us informed and up to date on all the chaos. I genuinely don't know how I'd be able to follow everything on my own. I also wanted to say how much I appreciate your continual and loud support for the LGBTQ plus youth, even as so many seek to endanger them. Mm. I'm genuinely scared for kids. 
and educators in the states where these laws are being passed. I work in a public school, thankfully, in a pretty safe and supportive district. Not that we've been without our struggles. I teach SEL, which is social-emotional learning. So I get to be pretty flexible with what we say and do. We spent a lot of time talking about current issues, specifically book bans and the National History Months. Rather than pet tax, I wanted to share some of my students' work. We often do many research projects on historic and modern figures, and these are some from the last school year. The pick with the smaller papers is from our Women's History Month kickoff. Hopefully you'll enjoy their work. Every day, my students show more empathy and understanding than so many of the adults in power, and I can't wait to see what they do with it. Oh my God, look at these. I know, I love stuff like this. So we have voters' rights. We have Williams. We have Charlotte Clymer. We have... Marsha P. Johnson. Oh, Deb Holland. These are incredible. These are I hope awesome. Billie Jean King. Wonderful. These are fantastic. Boston Marathon, Catherine Switzer. Everybody, I think patrons get these photos. Just check these out. These are really incredible. And how wonderful. What a cool class, social emotional learning. That's so important. I'm so oh, glad it's what a taught. great drawing of Elijah Cummings. Oh, Elijah. Look at this oh, art. Angela Davis, Marsha P. Johnson. I love it. Oh. Got some talented kiddos in there. Marie Van Britten Brown. This is, oh, there's another beautiful drawing at the bottom left. Look at that. Wow. Oh, thank you for that submission. That's incredible. Thanks for the work you're doing. I wish you were paid a zillion dollars. You deserve it. You want to take the next two AG and I'll. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Oh my God. This is amazing. All right. From Mrs. Murdy, pronouns she and her. Even quilters can help, she says. My local quilt shop is giving a piece of blue floral theme print in exchange for a 12.5 inch block to be assembled and quilted for auction. Funds to provide humanitarian relief efforts in Ukraine. <gasps> Look how beautiful this is. That's awesome. Thank you, Mrs. Murdy. And from anonymous pronoun she and her. Hi, I've just started listening to the pod. I really look forward to hearing your breakdown of the news each morning, but perhaps look more forward to the good news segments. I have a submission for What the Mutt. In April 2020, we adopted a pandemic puppy into our lives. We had been thinking about adopting a pup even before the pandemic, but hadn't found a good match. Then my boyfriend's friend sent him a picture of a little black puppy she was fostering. He showed me the picture and I was instantly in love. He and his three litter mates were found in a tote in an Alaskan village in January of 2020. God, it has to be cold. When they were rescued, they were brought to Anchorage and they were named F- the Frozen Litter. Oh, my little guy's name was originally Sven. Oh, we renamed him Ollie. Sven was a difficult name for me to say. I'm attaching pictures from when we first adopted him to now because he looks a bit different now. We first assumed he was simply a lab, but then the beard grew in. (laughs) (laughs) I thought the same about my ex. Yep, same. We, We connected with the woman who adopted his brother and we go on walks and they're the best buds. That's so cool. She did a DNA test to find out what they're made of. He is my first ever dog. I got my fix in the past by dog sitting nonstop. And he is the best canine soulmate I could ask for. He's happy and playful and makes friends everywhere he goes. Oh, my God. From the dog park to my office. My colleagues at my office have a treat supply for when he visits on Fridays. And Ollie always manages to brighten their day. I'm so grateful for Ollie and wanted to share this. Look at this joyful goddamn puppy. (laughs) Joyful nature with you and joy. Fuck you. I know. I'm going to throw my computer. Oh, he's got a little beard. He's got a little beard. Oh my God, that's really funny. Look at the beard. Okay, so he, that looks like either a terrier or a schnauzer. I would say terrier. Kind of 
crocodile with it with a oh, oh my god this dog is so cute and chow chow we'll just put that in there. yeah just might as well but and yeah let's put let's throw in malamute because you're in alaska right. uh or some sort of husky some husky. sort of sled Siberian dog husky all right let's see what we got turns out wired and short-haired pointer you got it lab yeah. roddy and husky husky right on <laughs> we got like three of the we got everything but the roddy nice and pointer uh but i think terrier i think with it was a wire-haired terrier we were looking so for. so sweet oh my god thank you i love puppy pictures almost as much as i love baby pictures it's, oh it's, it's a, a r- yeah random sprinkling of dalmatian and chihuahua oh there you go hmm. cute yeah <laughs> just a skosh <laughs> all right this last one is from anonymous pronouns he and him good news after six weeks of rehabbing a broken femur at my house my 84 year old grandpa got to go back home to the all oh, the other day he made a pretty quick recovery. He's excited to be more independent and get around his own space with his walker. Most of all, he's excited to be able to take his Ambien and chat late at night with a lady he met on the internet without me hearing. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Go, Grandpa. I got to hear an 84-year-old Ambien chat. I really do. I do, too. That's now on my bucket list. That's going to be some amazing chat that's happening. Oh, my God. That really just makes me so happy. Congrats. People finding something that excites them at any age makes me happy. Yes. And the teacher and the quilt and the the finger knitting. This is all just such great stuff. And, of course, the puppy. What a honey. Thank you so much for sending all this in. If you have anything you want to send us, again, you can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Dana. Yes. Any final thoughts today? My final thoughts today are a request for your good thoughts. Tomorrow, after two years of working on a pilot, I have a my first table read. And so if you were listening to this podcast before 10 a.m. Pacific time, it's going to happen between 10 a.m. and noon. And if you believe in good energy in the universe, which I know a lot of us do, I could use some collective right now because I'm hoping this sounds as good out loud as it does on paper. So I'm very excited about this next step, but I believe in collective energy. So Give it to me. I'm going to put some beans on the fact that it is going to sound better. I hope so. Than it does read on the page. It has to, because then I get to hear other characters instead of everyone in my head, you know? Yeah. 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 It's going to be awesome. I will send the good vibes and I'm Thank sure you. everyone else in the Leguminati nation will as well. And, uh, and we will talk tomorrow about it. I can't wait to hear how it goes. Yes. And then also tomorrow we've got that March 8th hearing with the Eastman filings, which is going to just be a, it's going to be a knee slapper. <laughs> I'm, you know, I mean, I, if anyone can, can, you know, find entertainment in, in these types of hearings, it's me and I'm just going to be cracking up. We'll Let's talk do about it. that tomorrow as well. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health and vote blue over Q. I've been Allison Gill. And I have been Dana Goldberg. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>